This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. Well, good afternoon, everyone. And uh, Claudette, do we still have that traffic snarl up there uh, west of Gander? It seems to still be slow in the area. And that's um, from Gander Bay Road, McGee Road to Salmon Pond Resource Road. So you're heading towards Glenwood. And uh, people are complaining, uh, you know, that they're just waiting and waiting and waiting, you know. And it's just not good if people are trying to, especially if they're tourists, trying to get from one place to the next. It can be quite frustrating. For sure. So that's uh, construction in the area. Yeah, that's yeah. It's been on the go for a while, um, so I'm not exactly sure when it's supposed to end, uh, but people have been contacting us and just expressing their frustration with having to wait so long and not knowing how long they have to wait, right? So it could be an hour, it could be an hour and a half. Well, busy uh, stretch of highway there for sure, so please uh, exercise patience, and uh, you know what? If you're close to Gander, why don't you just stop into Gander for a little while, get something to eat, uh, a drink, uh, go to the washroom. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy and, uh, that area. And hopefully that'll clear up sometime soon. Or, um, you know, do what they did years ago at the Pearson <laughs> Airport. Just break out an accordion. Everybody becomes a family. Have a big uh, kitchen, <laughs> kitchen party, party in the middle of the Trans-Canada <laughs> Highway. Why we're, not? <laughs> we're not advocate, advocating that. Please be safe. <laughs> <laughs> Please be safe and exercise uh, patience. But a lot of construction zones right across the province, as we all know. Uh, and uh, remember that flag people are doing their best yeah so can't take it out on don't them. don't take your frustrations out on them for goodness sake they're doing what they got to do and who wants to be stood up in the beaming sun all day with, with irate signs, people right? with the signs with yes people saying everything to them so be flash them a smile a coffee Give them a little coffee or an ice cream if it's not melted. <laughs> um, there you go. Well, the provincial government plans on implementing all of the recommendations from the Provincial Surgical Task Force aimed at reducing backlogs in the system. You just heard VOCM's uh, Jolene Grimes report on this. In total, some 32 recommendations have been made, some of which already implemented. They're broken down into three categories. Seven recommendations are under measuring and monitoring, four under maximizing the workforce, which I'm sure a lot of people will appreciate hearing, and 21 under the operational improvements category. Some of the key recommendations include developing a centralized list of operating rooms across the province to match surgical availability with facilities that are not being utilized to their full capacity, repurposing underused beds in personal care, long-term care homes, that's for people with short-term stays, that sort of thing, and um, uh, exploring and implementing ambulatory surgery centers that provide same-day surgical care. Government expects to start implementing the remaining recommendations this fall. Well, here's some of what Minister Tom Osborne and NL Health Services Representative Cassie Chisholm had to say at a news conference today. Today, we are releasing that report. The task force has made 32 recommendations on how to make improvements. And I'm very pleased to say that we will be implementing all 32 recommendations. To do that, we are ensuring that the Newfoundland and Labrador Health Services has an additional uh, health professional resource that it needs to make sure that these recommendations are followed and implemented. In addition to that, we will have additional 
human resources put in place on the transformation team to help assist with the implementation of these 32 recommendations. That includes a dedicated project manager, a team to oversee the implementation beginning this fall. We are also putting, as I mentioned, the additional resources in place as part of the transformation uh, team for the Provincial Health Authority. It's important to note that some of these 32 recommendations have already been implemented. For example, the task force recommended exploring the use of personal care homes to accommodate short stay for patients. Our new program supports patients so that they can stay close to the hospital instead of in the hospital to receive the rehab care that they need after surgery. Moving patients to available beds in personal care homes makes acute care beds available for someone else who needs the medical care. The recommendations in the report are part of a series of new and ongoing activities that we built on what we have accomplished so far. They will complement other initiatives that will help us expand our reach further into improving access to healthcare. They include expanding the traveling orthopedic team to Carbonair this September, working with ophthalmologists to find solutions to complete more cataract surgeries, better use of operating rooms at the Janeway and St. Clair's to help ensure surgeries are completed, expanding orthopedic surgeries in Gander with the reduced hospital stay for patients, exploring same-day surgery options in Western, and taking ambulatory care and urgent care services out of the health sciences and moving them into the community so that people waiting for care do not have to be bumped behind people with more pressing emergencies. We are also working with the Provincial Health Authority to complete a demonstration project to assess the model of community-based adult programs. Adult day programs provide support for older adults who live at home. They provide an out-of-home respite, non-residential option that provides meaningful occupation and support for activities of daily living. The program is intended for adults who require support and supervision due to cognitive and or physical issues it endorses a home-first philosophy to support individuals to remain in their homes and communities while accessing supports and services to address their needs. All of our initiatives combined with our recruitment activities that are bringing more people into the province will lead to a better healthcare system for Newfoundland and Labrador. In closing, we are thankful to the members of the task force for volunteering their time to develop this report, and we'll now turn it over to Cassie to uh, discuss the report in more detail. As surgical demand grows, the detailed assessment of causes and actionable recommendations is very welcome. Newfoundland and Labrador Health Services looks forward to working with government to implement all 32 of the recommendations. Some of these recommendations, like the four related to maximizing our workforce, are very familiar. We know that staffing is a global challenge, and Newfoundland and Labrador Health Services has been working hand-in-hand -hand with government to recruit qualified professionals. 
Going forward, we will work to ensure there is a reasonable cancellation policy for fee-for-service specialists. We will also establish and maintain a list of nursing and allied health professionals who are interested in overtime and additional shifts. And we will work to increase the number of staff to enable our capacity. We will also increase the exposure nursing students have on surgical wards. Within the next six months, we plan to have the bulk of the surgical task force recommendations complete. We're currently working with the department to subsidize sleep apnea assessments, and as Minister Osborne mentioned, to open up another operating room at the Janeway to increase our capacity. By spring 2024, we should have a centralized surgical wait list for Newfoundland and Labrador. We should also have a centralized list of operating rooms and operative resources for the province. We will have launched a centralized single entry intake model for people who require high volume surgeries like total hips and total knee joint replacements or cataracts. We will also have policies for pre-admission uh, pre assessments and standardized data collection across all five health zones. These short-term actions will allow us to ensure that no operating room stands empty while patients are out waiting for surgery. They will also provide a solid foundation for the medium and long-term actions that we need to take to reduce surgical backlog and ensure that our system can sustainably keep wait lists at or below our national benchmarks. So that's Vice President of Transformation Health Services with the NL Health Services, Cassie Chisholm, uh, and Health Minister Tom Osborne at that news conference held today. Well, coming up, we'll hear more about knocking down those surgical wait lists. And stay tuned. We're also going to get an update on the hurricane season. And a lot of people feeling very anxious and heightened awareness about hurricanes, especially in light of Fiona and the damage that she caused on the southwest coast last season. And so we'll hear more from the Canadian Hurricane Center when we come back right after this. Nutrition, exercise, keeping the cold at bay. Whatever keeps you feeling great, the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM. Well, before the break, we heard from Health Minister Tom Osborne and NL Health Services uh, Cassie Chisholm about the Provincial Surgical Task Force report released today and its 32 recommendations to cut down on surgical backlogs. Well, here's Deputy Minister of Health Transformation with the provincial government, Dr. Pat Parfrey. So we know as a consequence of COVID and the, and the, uh, the growing aging population that the need for joint replacements has gone way up. And we know as a consequence of COVID that our, our replacement number is now 3,000. So the, and we know the wait times that those 3,000 people are exposed to and they're not, they're not meeting national standards. But what's attractive about the surgery task force is that they've come up with innovative ways of being able to, uh, to increase the number of joint replacements within the system that we've currently got. So we have uh, um, same-day surgeries taking place in St. Clair's, new, adding it to Gander, adding it to Corner Brook. That'll add hundreds of people who've had a joint replacement in the coming year. We, we, we have a, a, a focus on trying to uh, improve the efficiency and the utilization of operating rooms in the city. That'll, that will lead to hundreds more joint replacements. And then we have a, what I think is an innovative solution is take the joint replacements out of the city of St. John's, bring them to Carboneer, bring them to St. Anthony, and bring the care to the people. 
Um, and again, that fits very much with the logic of the health accord and the, the plans that the government have. And all those initiatives are feasible in the current system and will, have, will actually have a big effect. But where, where, we, where we will have to get even more innovative and create more resources is when, to bring down that wait list to a more reasonable number of people. So um, uh, I, I, I'm just probably in effect saying that it's a high priority area, joint placement for the provincial government, but it's equally high for the, for the national government. So I think that the kind of the take home messages are that in developing a learning health and social system, which is what this is all about, using data to, to change actual practice into best practice, try and keep care as close to home as is possible, and use evidence to make decisions, this particular um, um, task force has taken all those into consideration. That's Dr. Pat Parfrey. Meanwhile, VOCM's Richard Duggan caught up with NDP leader Jim Din with his thoughts on the report released today. It speaks to uh, recruitment, but it still it doesn't seem to be talking much about retention. I don't even think that was re uh, mentioned. So there's a, and we've been very clear about the retention piece. Once you get people here, what how you how are you go, what is the commitment? I guess to making sure that we uh, we keep people. Uh, what is the commitment to making sure that the uh, th that the measures, the practices, the policies, the attitudes that led uh, that led to people uh, led to the crisis are are going to be changed. I can tell you that um, you know talking to when I was uh, in my involvement in teaching, talking to my uh, colleagues in uh, in the other uh, jurisdictions across the country and here within the province, you could see the same atti uh, the attitudes, which is if you treat people as a budget line to be cut, then that's what you're going to do. Now we've got a crisis that. It's going to be a lot more expensive to fix. So there's the recruitment, there's the retention piece. Uh, what's stopping someone you bring in here from realizing that they might have better working conditions and better pay elsewhere in the province? The other part of it is, I guess, is the timeline piece um, or the uh, the vagueness around um, when uh, these, you know, uh, or a lack of commitment as to a timeline to fix this. And I understand the the enormity of the problem. I also understand, you know, that there is an unwillingness to commit, but. I think people have been waiting for so long now. Have been uh, have, have, some have people people have been waiting for a family doctor or a uh, collaborative care clinic, and they haven't gotten answered. And be told that sometime maybe within the next two years we'll have that. It's it's pretty vague. I I would like to see some commitment as to here's what we're what we're committed to fixing to get fixing many of the problems as we can within the next two years and give people that uh, the constant updates and make sure that they're informed. I will say that is at least there is more communication with the public and that's a positive but i think we've got to start having some substance in that the other piece i guess richard and i, I said this to um, your counterpart on open line this morning when it comes to the provincial surgical uh, backlog and eliminating that we can talk about the, uh, data collection and booking standardized wait lists uh, centralized surgical wait lists and all these uh, all the other recommendations that I come up with they're fine but i don't know if they are actually going to resolve the problem if we look at, I was speaking to a doctor last year. I was at the at St. Clair's, and I was there for an appointment, and uh, we got talking about at that time the need for a new St. Clair's hospital. And what this doctor said to me, he said, 
it's not a new hospital we need. But we have people who are occupying beds, acute care beds, who really need to be better served in long-term care facilities. But there's not enough staff in the long-term care facilities, so they're being housed in hospitals. He did make the point you could eliminate, you could make a huge dent in the surgical backlog if you had those acute care, acute care beds uh, open. That means for, uh, having staff to, how, uh, to, to look after the people in short, long-term care. That's the area where we, we we could be focusing on right there is uh, and and there in speaking to NAEP, uh, uh the conversation we had was about training up people who are at the entry level jobs maybe in in some of these facilities so that they're trained to take on uh jobs with greater responsibility and uh and then have opening up uh, entry level jobs for people who uh, may want them as a way into the system so let's address the long term care piece first and get make sure people are, are uh, in the uh, the appropriate facility. And the other part of that, I would argue, is let's make sure that uh, people who are, uh, that, that who, are should, uh, who are in long-term care facilities that could be um, uh, cared for and age in place in their own homes with independence, they have the resources they need or that their families have the resources they need that they can stay in their homes uh, without having to go to a long-term care facility. Otherwise, we're going to see, I would say, more stories like what we saw uh, recently about uh, people, uh, you know, uh, with dementia, and that uh, in emergency rooms where they that are not designed to handle them. So, uh, to me, I'd like to see some commitment here. Go back to the human resource piece. Uh, what are we going to do to retain people? And what are we going to do to address the, the uh, make sure that uh, the long-term care facilities uh, have the resor- human resources they need to uh, to look after and care for the people there, and make sure that they're not unnecessarily um, occupying beds in acute care facilities. That's uh, Jim Din of the NDP responding to the uh, release of the report and recommendations of the Provincial Surgical Task Force, which uh, was focused on reducing backlogs in the system. And uh, Jim Din asking questions about, first of all, um, they're announcing more uh, recruitment, but what about the retention piece of all of that? Because we do know that uh, uh, healthcare workers in particular can be very mobile. They're in high demand all over the country. So what are we do, going to do to uh, keep um, uh, people in the health care system uh, when, they, when we recruit them? And also um, some of these issues surrounding um, the use of uh, long-term care beds for people who are in these uh, kind of transitional uh, short-term um, health care type of situations. So any thoughts on that, you're certainly welcome to give us a call. Well, coming up, hurricane season is upon us, and the Canadian Hurricane Centre has revised its seasonal forecast. We'll have more on that coming up right after this uh, news with uh, VOCM's uh, Richard Duggan. This is News Talk on VOCM. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you news talk on your vocm 
Thank you very much, Richard Duggan and Claudette Burns. Uh, well, the Canadian Hurricane Centre this week revised its seasonal hurricane forecast with more named storms expected in the coming months. Meteorologist Chris Fogarty joins me now from Nova Scotia. Well, Chris Fogarty, I see that the National Hurricane Centre has put out a revised forecast. And while it's beautiful out here in the St. John's area today, what can we expect now in the uh, coming weeks and months? Yeah, so we're into mid-August now, so that's when storms start to uh, form more readily. And this year we are expecting a few more than average. That doesn't necessarily mean they'll get up to Category 3 or 4 and above, but we'll likely get uh, well into the alphabet, probably up to the S or T storm. That's the way it looks right now, mostly due to warmer-than-normal ocean temperatures as the big player uh, in the most recent update. Now, is there any indicator yet of what kind of intensity we might be looking at for some of these storms? With those warmer ocean waters, and the warmer waters also farther north too, especially around uh, Newfoundland, we've seen some water temperatures like like six, seven degrees above normal. So, if a tropical, if a hurricane moves up over those warmer than normal waters, there's a likelihood that the hurricane may maintain its uh, hurricane-like characteristics. So that's certainly a concern, and we'll be watching for that. So when that storm does, if it does form, that will be a big factor in the forecast that we write. And what factors determine, you know, the track of storms? The track is really dictated by uh, large-scale pressure patterns such as the Bermuda High, that's a big area of high pressure, that hurricanes move around it, it's kind of like water flowing around a hill. It won't, you know, it goes in the lowest spot. And same with the hurricanes, they'll go around the high pressure area. Also, the jet stream is a big factor in steering the storms. And with Fiona last year, the jet stream was uh, kinked back at a weird angle and caused uh, Fiona to move almost toward the northwest at one point. And that's kind of what made it so bad in the Porter Basque area. So water temperature is one of the big factors here in, in, in changing this forecast? Yeah, that is definitely the, the key. We do have El Nino conditions in the atmosphere over on the Pacific Ocean, and that does uh, tend to temper the storms a little bit in the Atlantic. It's a complex process, but El Nino is usually a good thing in terms of hurricanes. It keeps them uh, you know, from getting out too intense. But these warm ocean waters might counteract that. Any activity in the uh, mid-Atlantic right now? As of now, it is starting to waken up again. There are two areas of possible storms forming deep down in the tropical Atlantic. The E and F storm might come out of that. The next name on the list is Emily. The pressure patterns, like we just talked about, would probably steer these storms out in the mid-ocean and might not be an effect on eastern Canada. So that looks good. I think we might be able to get out of August here without any major impacts. And how long does the hurricane season typically last? The bulk of activity really goes from mid-August to 
mid-October, 90% of the storms seem to occur in that time. And when you think back to Newfoundland's events, Larry was September 10th, 11th. Uh, Fiona was the last week of September. Igor, that was the third week of September. So really, September is really the month here in Atlanta when we get these things, sometimes early October and sometimes the latter part of August. As I mentioned, this August here, looks like we might uh, get out of the month without too much activity. And they usually form off the coast of Africa, is that right? What are the typical tracks? Yeah, the really long-lived, mature hurricanes will frequently form off the coast of Africa, off Senegal, and move westward. And then, they, as you know, they turn northward quite often and they clip Nova Scotia or Newfoundland or not so clipped. Sometimes they move right over the provinces. Uh, that's a typical trap. It's a track. It's like a, a large C-shaped uh, trajectory. And because of uh, Fiona, you know, our, uh, concerns are heightened, of course, anytime a, a storm forms in the uh, tropical Atlantic. So how can people get the most up-to-date information on these storms when they uh, start to form? We have uh, probably the quickest thing right off the top of our head to remember is hurricanes.ca. If you're looking at things online on your phone, you can do that and you'll get most of the information there. And we're, of course, on uh, Twitter, easy to find us on there. We often will put our forecasts just after we issue them on there on social media. And uh, But, yeah, the website hurricanes.ca is like a quick spot you can go and then, of course, once the storm is on the map, it'll be in the news quite readily. And, yeah, we're able to get that information out quite thoroughly now. And, and being recently impacted by big storms, I think people are really concerned and are looking, seeking out the updates. So that awareness level is good. And is it always good? I noticed the provincial government put out a, a, a reminder this weekend saying, uh, you know, now is the time to put together those little packages in case there is a major storm and you lose power or you're cut off from, uh, the, uh, you know, your st- local stores or whatever for a period of time. Is it always a wise idea to be prepared? Yeah, it's good to have that uh, sort of three-day, 72-hour uh, preparation thing in mind, you know, a little uh, grab-and-go kit or whatever, but also I'm trying to give people some tips and reminders of thinking longer term as well, you know, before the storm is in the news. You know, if, if you get the funds, uh, you know, grab a, a generator uh, sooner than later, right, because once it's in the news, then everybody's scrambling to get these things and uh, just your property in general, the uh, flood proneness, you know, if you have a, a foundation basement, then, you know, maybe get anything that's of value up out of flooding, uh, out of the flood zone. That was a big issue we had here in Nova Scotia, of course, this past month with the flooding. So try to get uh, people thinking on longer terms, too, at their property level, things that they can do to, you know, lessen the damage if it does happen. Chris Fogarty, really appreciate your time this afternoon. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem at all.
That's meteorologist Chris Fogarty with the Canadian Hurricane Centre in Nova Scotia. And uh, are you prepared, Claudette, if if yeah, something I mean, should happen? I feel like I fall in with most people and I wait until you actually know that you hear it on the radio and then you start scrambling for everything that you need. I think that's pretty normal what people do, but I love that he said, you know, maybe you should start thinking about if you don't have a generator get one now not when everybody is looking for it you know it seems like you know off off season look for the things that you need and something simple as having a a radio that uh, doesn't have to be plugged in is so helpful oh my goodness it it is your lifeline and i'm not just saying that because we're (laughs) in radio but it's true everybody looks for the information right lifeline if you think about it your power goes out your phone loses its charge you don't want to be kept in the dark, literally and figuratively. Exactly. So and you that's need the info. what we do best. That's when we kick into high gear. So, yep. uh, yeah, those little things. I can remember, you know, before Snowmageddon, uh, being in a uh, hardware store and passing along by this uh, display of generators, you know, mm-hmm. all packed up there. And the price was really good at the time. I can't remember what it was, but it was in the like the $300 range. You'd never find that now. No. And I remember passing by and saying to my husband, you know, look at the price of the generators. That's a great price. Yeah, we'll get one of them one of these days. One of these days, And yeah. what? <laughs> happened next boom snowmageddon i was like you remember that time yeah you remember right not getting it for that deal now no, no. uh you're not going to get them for that now I, I only wish we had our time back but uh yeah they are awfully handy you hope you never ever have to use them but if you got to use them you're thankful for it because you save all that food in the deep freeze just think about it Yes, so many people have lost, you know, the food that was wasted during that with days on end, not being able to plug anything in. Yeah, I remember those days. So, y'all, I'm so glad you had that chat with him because it's certainly (laughs) stirring up memories. You want to know where everything is. Now is the time to do it before it happens. Absolutely. And they're saying there's going to be more storms. So that's a greater Mm -hmm. likelihood that... We could see some storms heading this way. Now, he, as he just said, um, you know, it doesn't look like there's anything on the horizon for August month. So you have time, but don't leave it to the last minute. Right. Uh, September is when it all ramps up. So uh, just be aware of that. If you're prepared, then you're prepared. Well, uh, coming up, the Innu Nation has a new Grand Chief. We'll speak with Simon Pokeway right after this. This is News Talk on VOCN. Start your day off right. Get the latest updates on news, traffic, and weather conditions. Plus, interviews with today's newsmakers. Your go-to source before you get on the go. 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays. Your VOCM mornings. And we're back. Well, the Innu Nation has elected a new Grand Chief. Simon Pokeway, former band council chief in Natwashish, was elected to the Innu Nation's top job this week. I caught up with him uh, late yesterday afternoon. Well, Grand Chief Simon Pokeway, congratulations. Thank you, uh, Linda. So what happens now? You have uh, you ran for the, the um, position of Grand Council, uh, um, Grand Chief of the Innu Nation. Uh, you've won. Um, where would you like to see the Innu Nation go from here? Well, there are a number of files uh, that uh, the Innu Nation are, are working right now, and I'd like to forward, i like to, like, uh, what you call no one is uh, land claims. So that's a very important uh, issue. So that's the, there are there are the matters that that you know they have been working on. So I think it's important to have them forward, move them forward. 
is still working on land claims after all of these years. What in, in specific are you are you looking at there? Well, we've been at the table with both governments over thirty years, and uh, I think it's uh, it's a lot overdue now. I mean, there's uh, a lot of stuff has been agreed upon, and and, and the only problem we've been having is uh, delays from the government or both governments, and uh, you know, and uh, we're trying to move those files forward. So, Simon, you're a former um, band council chief in Natwashish, is that correct? I was band council chief back in uh, 2015, almost 20 years ago, yes. Is that right, that long ago? Um, time is nothing, is it? <laughs> um, yes. So, uh, what prompted you to run for grand uh, chief? Well, uh, well, you know, face many issues today. Uh, important goal is to get our land claims done. We signed a framework agreement in 1996, an agreement in, an agreement in principle in 2011. We are working hard to try to resolve our outstanding issues probably next March of 2024. And that's a long time to be on the table. Uh, I want to finish our land claim in a self-governmental agreement. The most important issues, and I also will make sure that uh, any de- any economic development in our land benefit Inno, and if does not benefit the Inno, then it shouldn't happen. So you've got a lot of new faces now on the um, um, Inu Nation executive. Um, what's it going to be like now uh, working with them? Or, or, or you know, does it take time for you all to be on the same page, or are you already all on the same page? Well, uh, I'm going to have to work all of the all of those elected. That's what I'll be elected for to work with them, and um, and I'm very pleased with. This. I'm also very pleased with the support I received from the communities of Natwashish and Shiajish. And um, I want to thank all the people who put their name forward for these elections. And I also congratulate the people who were re-elected and those uh, who are elected. And I'm uh, looking forward to working with the new Grand Deputy Grand Chief, Chris Rich, and some new faces on board, and all the staff, and starts on all the work we have to do. There's a lot of work in you know, that you need to take forward. No doubt you'll be meeting as well with uh, provincial government officials. Uh, what will what sort of messages will you be giving them? Well, we have some outstanding issues with uh, the government, the provincial government, like uh, some issues on court cases and some issues on litigation rate issue. Uh, and a bunch of others. So we won't have to table those. These are outstanding issues with the problems. So I'll be, uh, you know, I'll be glad to work with the provincial government, especially the premier. Here. A lot of work ahead, no doubt, uh, Simon Pokeway. We expect we'll be hearing a lot more from you. Congratulations once again on being elected Grand Chief. Thank you very much, Linda. And that is newly elected Grand Chief of the Inu Nation, Simon 
Pokwe. Well, um, I don't know if you've been following what's happening in Northwest Territories, but it is a horrific situation. I know people who have had to be evacuated from the Hay River area. Mm -hmm. That's on the North Shore, I think, of Great Slave Lake. And now the people of Yellowknife are being asked to leave. And there are so many Newfoundlanders who have made Yellowknife and that surrounding area their homes or who are going back and forth there regularly to work. And um, the, the pictures are just heartbreaking. The, the roads absolutely clogged with traffic of people. Uh, trying to leave that area with these wildfires just bearing down on a, a fairly significant city of Yellowknife. It reminds me so much of the situation in Fort Mac there a few years ago. Yeah, um, I heard an interview earlier this morning about people trying to escape the uh, fires up north, and uh, one lady said um, she was able to leave, I think, with her partner, her dog. Her cat bolted, so she couldn't save the cat. Uh, one thing she's really upset about as well is that uh, when she left, she said... She had kept in her home all of these um, memories, you know, from photographs to family heirlooms that were passed on from generation to generation that meant so much that she was forced to leave in her house and she's going back to no house. So um, she really is in a grieving process for her life. Like the just she said, my our, my family won't be able to um remember all of these things that we've had and the things were important because it brings back the memories of the, the loved ones so yeah just devastating it really is um i was uh, speaking to a cousin of mine who's in edmonton he had to escape and um yeah, he was telling me that the town of element which was very close to hay river where he was supposed to be working um 90 completely eliminated off the face of the planet just gone raised mm -hmm. to the ground Businesses and, um, gone, homes gone, livelihood gone, leveled. leveled, yeah. And uh, I remember recently reading uh, about a woman in uh, Maui. We saw those terrible fires in mm -hmm. Maui in Hawaii. And uh, she said that they, she went back to her um, street and she didn't recognize, she didn't know where she was because there was nothing to make those visual, you know, orient yourself. That must nothing. be a wild feeling like just of emptiness I just I, I can't imagine that and I also can't reconcile um, the Maui of you know people in that position where they've lost their homes and houses but then you got the other side the tourists are still almost oblivious to just going out on in, on the sand and enjoying themselves at a hotel and then you have the other side where people have lost their you know and escaping and into the ocean because there's nowhere to go just imagine yeah, I can't um, anyway our thoughts of course with everybody in Northwest Territories. There are so many connections between Newfoundland and mm -hmm. Northwest Territories, as you know, because so many people have made their homes there and so many people work there on a regular basis. So uh, just e extraordinary. The manager of a gas station along the highway south of Yellowknife says, well, coffee is running low. She's arranged for enough fuel to supply the thousands of wildlife evacuees, um, uh, wildfire evacuees, I'm sorry. Linda Croft says vehicles started lining up at the station pumps in Fort Providence before they even opened yesterday some 20,000 residents of Yellowknife and two nearby First Nations communities have been ordered to leave as a wildfire approaches the city and the uh, Premier of Northwest Territories uh, has asked people if you have an evacuation order in your area Evacuate. you have to leave and it's a it's a terrible feeling you don't know if you'll ever see your home again I mean, you're but choosing. You have to go. Yeah, and it, it's hard. It's easy for everyone to say, you know, 
your life your life is so, the most important which it is but I can appreciate the grieving of all the memories lost as well and know? how do you choose I mean if you've got to pack up and go you know you you know what it's like packing up for a vacation let alone <laughs> You're packing an evacuation yeah. uh, you know you've got to bring all your essentials toothbrush toothpaste right. uh, medication underwear medication would be medication thing, yeah. yeah medication and not being able to get that too that and grabbing those couple of photo albums but what do you choose yeah what do you choose there are you know um let's say uh, awards that your children won in school there Mm -hmm. are all those little intangible memories uh slippers belong to your grandmother you know like strange intangibles that the struggle once they're lost they're gone yeah i mean it must it must be really really hard the struggle inside of making those decisions and you don't have much time as you said to make them make them and and then and then there's the whole aspect of pets you know that are terrified uh probably hiding away somewhere and you know you gotta go yeah, and the pet, do do? the pet rescues, I think, in Alberta, too, are getting maxed out yeah. as well. They're trying to find other arrangements because some can't even take them. Yeah, you just got to hope that uh, if you do leave an animal behind, they're able to fend for themselves, run and get yeah. out of there. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I can't anyway. imagine. You're ma- actually bringing up all these emotions. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thoughts going out to the people of Northwest Territories, for sure. And if you have family in the area who have had to evacuate, I would encourage you to give us a call. Uh, we'll be on the air tomorrow. And, of course, Patty's available. Uh, we'd love to hear those stories as well. We'll be back tomorrow. Do join us then. Uh, in the meantime, uh, have a great evening, everyone. Thanks for listening.